0: Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christogenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, April 19th, 2019. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Last Friday, I presented a live program, since we were on the road and I had a good cell phone connection. For various reasons, I purposely neglected to mention that we were on a road, but we were in Lake City, Florida for the weekend. Unfortunately, the recording had failed me, and having no backup, I had to record the program again after we got home late Sunday. I was prohibited, or I should say constricted, from doing that sooner because of the business that we were attending, which brought us to Lake City in the first place. Now this week, we are back at home, and I am tempted to begin doing live programs once again, but I am not quite ready. Just a couple of weeks ago, and after a long wait, we finally had a cell phone repeater that we had purchased, placed atop a 45-foot antenna tower on our property, which was here from the previous owner. So now where we had no cell service at all we often have 4G and two or three bars depending on weather conditions. Sometimes it's not so good. Although the data transfer speeds are slow, streaming audio does not require high speeds. Instead it requires um, good network latency, very little latency so that the signal doesn't drop satellite has terrible latency and the signal is always dropping so live streaming on satellite with the equipment that I can afford is virtually impossible but the level of phone service that we have now should be plenty to do live programming I just haven't tested it enough to be comfortable as soon as I can I will resume the practice What we can do, and what I have tested, is Skype conversation. So this weekend, after months of waiting, I hope to record an interview with Rosette Delacroix, who is a fairly popular YouTuber who has recently come to Christian identity through, at least partially, through our work at Christigenia. I will also, I pray, tomorrow, record a new Bible Basics segment with Sven Longshanks. I think the next part might be part seven. I'm not sure. There will be at least eight parts to that series in total. Then next week, I hope to record a conversation with Dennis Wise. Dennis, who is another popular YouTuber, is the author of several videos including Adolf Hitler, The Greatest Story Never Told, and The New World Order, Communism by the Back Door, and lately, The Secret Masonic Victory of World War II. His his videos are usually produced in segments, and I believe that last one is up to part 19. He later, I believe, he did it with The Greatest Story Never Told. He later compiles the segments into a single video. The Greatest Story Never Told is an awesome, awesome production. And I think it's about six hours. It will keep you busy for a long stormy night. Dennis has also come to understand at least much of our Christian identity view of scripture and history. I imagine Sven Longshank should get a lot of credit for that, having spoken with Dennis at great length for many podcasts. I'm certain that Dennis and I will have many things to talk about. Because of trepidation over whether I will be able to write 12 to 15 pages in a single day and then make a live presentation of what I have written that same evening, which was my Saturday schedule for several years until the recent hurricane. I am going to move a resumed weekend program to Sunday evenings, while continuing to present my Bible commentaries on Fridays, at least that's what I present on most Fridays. So, I hope my listeners watch for Christagenia Weekend programs to be announced and then posted in the usual fashion, and I hope to do so every Sunday. But with many chores still remaining, I cannot yet promise that I can do it every Sunday. For now, I will do as many Sunday programs as I can, and I hope to even resume producing my commentary on the Protocols of Satan by the beginning of June. I have really been itching to get back to that, even though I have no idea what I'm going to present in Part 40, except that I hope to present, of course, a commentary on the last of Protocol Number 3, which is all that I am up to after 39 parts. I hope that as I continue it, I can be just as diligent and detailed as I have been through the first 39 parts. This is the Arab question, part 6. In part 5 of the series, which we presented here just last week, we discussed the words Ladino and Mestizo, and the fact that the terms were equated in three prominent English-language dictionaries which were published in or before the 1970s. Doing that, we also showed the history of the term Ladino as an epithet for Sephardic Jews and their peculiar dialect of Old Spanish, which many of them continue to speak even today. Then we showed how Mestizos, or mixed-race Indian and presumably Spanish or Portuguese Mexicans and South Americans, were called Ladinos. And we wondered how these half-breeds, who are actually more like Heinz 57 varieties, had derived from many different races, how they would be called by a label which is exclusive to Sephardic Jews in Europe. But we should not have to speculate. It was evidently not the true Spaniards or Portuguese who had mixed with Indians sufficiently and gave them such a label. But rather, it was Sephardic Jews themselves from whom they acquired the name Ladino because it certainly was mixed Jews or crypto-Jews fleeing the Inquisition, who had settled among the Indian tribes in outlying areas and who freely mingled with them. Now, the Spanish and Portuguese may have mixed heavily with these Indians since then, But originally, that does not seem to be the case, at least not on any great scale. Originally, it seems to be the Converso-Jews or the Crypto-Jews who wanted to remain as Jews who mingled with these Indians. The 16th century rumors that the so-called Indians had descended from the ancient lost tribes of Israel fueled the race-mixing of Jews and Indians, and even Manasseh ben Israel, the rabbi most responsible for prodding Cromwell to make England safe once again for Judaism, had repeated those rumors in his letters to Cromwell, which are well-preserved. This belief, That the Indians were the lost tribes, which is patently ridiculous, had rapidly spread throughout Europe. And we had previously noted that Swedish army chaplain Jesper Swedberg, who was well-traveled and friendly towards Jews, had brought the rumor back to Sweden in 1685. In our June 2016 presentation on the Jews in Europe, Judaizing England and Sweden, which was the final of an 11-part series, we cited a book titled Philo-Semitism and the Gothic Kabbalah, 1688-1710, to 1710, and written by Marcia Keith Schuchard, which said in part that when Jesper Swedberg returned to Sweden in August 1685, he informed the king about Edzard's missionary work among the Jews, and he convinced him to support similar efforts among the Indians in the New World, whom he and Edzard believed to be the descendants of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Swedberg, Jesper Swedberg. Confusing Messianic Judaism for Christianity was basically a proselyte of this Edzard, who was a former Sabatian, a believer that this Jew named Sabati, Levi Sabati or something like that, was actually the Messiah. Swedberg was a proselyte of this Edzard who was a former Sabbatian and a Messianic Jew. Sabbatai Levi, I think his name was, or Sabbatai Levi. There is documentation in many other sources, aside from the lives of Manasseh ben Israel and Jesper Swedberg, that the Jews themselves Jewish rabbis and Jewish so-called scholars had both contrived and perpetuated the idea that the Indians of the New World were the ancient quote-unquote lost Israelites. This in turn fueled medieval millennialism as naive Protestant Christians like Swedeberg thought that the conversion Of both Jews and Indians whom they believed to be Israelites would bring the coming of the Messiah and the Millennial Kingdom. Some of the same errant concepts persist in the Judaized Protestant churches to this very day. So, in the 17th century, if the Jews believed that the Indians were the so-called lost tribes, What moral prohibition would prevent them from intermingling with the Indians? I would assert that their own profession in this matter actually facilitated their having mingled with the Indians. We have already seen testimony from several witnesses that Jews did indeed mingle with the Indians, and now this evening we will present modern evidence of the same. In our last presentation in the series, we also saw a lot of discussion about surnames, which either appear to be Spanish or Portuguese, but which are actually Jewish, or which are Spanish or Portuguese, but which are frequently used by Jews, as Jews steal names wherever they go. So researching that a little further, we came across an article for the name Campos which also had a few things to say about Spanish toponyms as used as surnames. A toponym, a name that was made from a feature of topography or from the name of a place. So here are the relevant paragraphs, which actually discuss the supposedly English name campus, which is really a Jewish name. Campus Surname, Meaning and Origin from the website Name Your Roots The name campus is of Spanish origin. The English meaning of campus is Campos, a place in Mercia, Spain. The surname campus is a toponymic name, which means that it is, a, it is derived from a geographical location. Toponymic names can be based on anything from the name of a town or village to the name of a forest or pasture. This is the largest category of family names, probably due to the geographical migrations to which the Jews from Spain and Portugal were subject after the Inquisition and the love they had for the country in which they had lived for many centuries. There are many indicators that the name campus may be of Jewish origin, emanating from the Jewish communities of Spain and Portugal. When the Romans conquered the Jewish nation, actually Judea, in 70 AD, much of the Jewish population was sent into exile throughout the Roman Empire. Many were sent to the Iberian Peninsula. The approximately 750,000 Jews living in Spain in the year 1492, were banished from the country by royal decree of Ferdinand and Isabella. The Jews of Portugal were banished several years later. Reprieve from the banishment decrees was promised to those Jews who converted to Catholicism. Though some converted by choice, most of these new Christians, they were called new Christians, New Christian converts were called conversos or moranos, a derogatory term for converts, meaning pigs in Spanish. Anusim Anusim A N U S I M A N U S that's interesting. I M That would be anuses in English plural. Anusim, meaning coerced ones in Hebrew and crypto-Jews as they secretly continued to practice the tenets of the Jewish faith our research has found that the family named name campus is cited with respect to Jews and crypto-Jews in at least 43 biographical or I'm sorry bibliographical documentary or electronic references. And actually, this website has many such reports on such names, especially on Sephardic Jewish names. Of course, all mainstream sources confuse Judean and Jewish, but in 70 AD it is nearly appropriate. One of those references the article refers to is the circumcision Register of Isaac and Abraham de Paiba, 1715-1775, to 1775, from the archives of the Spanish and Portuguese Jews' congregation of Bevis Marx in London, England. This particular work is a famous and often cited source for information on Sephardic Jews' in Britain, dating from the 17th century. I'm sorry, from the 18th century. But I wondered about the name of its Jewish authors, Piba, and found that is also a toponym. There is a town named Piba, P-A-I-B-A, on the Canary Islands, an island chain off of North Africa's western coast and they were controlled by Spain in 1499, the year that the Spanish Inquisition had reached the islands. Presumably, the Paibas themselves must have fled the Inquisition and eventually made it to London, perhaps through Holland like so many other Jews of the period. But looking further, the name Piba is also extant in South and Central America, and especially in Colombia, Peru, Nicaragua, and Argentina. The Canary Islands town of Paiba is a very small place, but I have not found another place named Paiba in Spain. Why are so many Latinos in the Spanish colonies named Paiba sharing this name with rabbis who fled the Inquisition, unless they too are actually Ladinos? Another similar toponym used by portuguese jews is paiva the v being replaced by the b or being or the v replacing the b in portuguese i'm sorry paiva is after a river in portugal there were several noted jews bearing the name for example mosa Pereira de paiva an amsterdam portuguese jewish merchant abroad in the 17th century, and we will link an article discussing him. And that version of the name, Paiva, is found in Portuguese areas of South America. When I was researching this name, Paiva, I found one genealogy website which claimed it is probably for Pabuve, an evidently French-Norman name, or Norman French name. But this is conjecture, as the name is clearly a Spanish toponym, and appears frequently in Spanish colonies, and among Sephardic Jews, with no relation to the Normans. I have found similar claims for the Sephardic Portuguese name Ines which are not substantiated and which even defy common logic, where the name also has a traceable Sephardic etymology. It seems that at least some of the descendants of Crypto-Jews would rather hide their true origins and therefore give heed to fables. This is only a digression for a couple of small examples, but to further substantiate our claims, We are going to present two articles from rather mainstream sources which have long been posted at similar, at at Clifton Amahiser's website for that same reason, that they substantiate the claims he had made concerning Mexicans and Jews earlier, at an earlier time, and we will also supply some additional information which has been published since Clifton addressed this topic. The first article is originally from a Jewish press outlet called the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and the original article can still be found at their website. It will be linked here. It was written by a Jewess named Talia Bloch, and first published on September 28, 2011, well over three years after Clifton published his papers on Mexican Jews and Crypto-Jews. When we found this, I published both it and another longer but similar article on Clifton's website as supporting evidence for his original assertions. They are both found on his website under the section titled Notes on Two Sea Line Papers. I will probably end up putting links there to this present presentation or even to this series of presentations in the near future. So from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency... And as I said last week, I despise having to quote Jewish sources. But for subjects like this, there's little choice but to quote Jewish sources, because Gentiles rarely write about these things, except recently in science journals concerning DNA studies, which some non-Jews participate in. This is new genetic evidence links Spanish-Americans of Southwest to Jews. In 1995, Demetrio Valdez, his wife Olive, and some of their neighbors in Conejos County, Colorado, started a kosher food co-op. We wanted to harvest our own meat, but we couldn't get a good price for it, so we decided to do it kosher to make more money," said Valdez, 64, who has raised cattle all his life. And he may have a Mexican name, but he certainly sounds like a Jew. The co-op members, all non-Jews, at least by their organized religion, flew in a rabbi from New York to instruct them in kosher slaughter. To Valdez's surprise, Many of the practices introduced by the rabbi were ones that Valdez, a Catholic, had grown up with and maintained on his ranch. I saw that we do a lot of things the same, he recalled. The rabbi was surprised too. Financial woes and, get this, financial woes and a fire forced the co-op to close soon after it started. But Valdez's experiences with the rabbi, the first Jew he had ever met, lingered. Now my own father would have called the fate of the co-op Jewish lightning, a term which I had heard often when I was a child, and certain Jewish-owned businesses suddenly burned down, never to be reopened. It is sort of like a Jew using his property insurance as a retirement package. In this case, perhaps the religious Jews did not want competition from their crypto-Jewish cousins. But, of course, that is only sarcastic conjecture on my part. Amusingly, Jews at the forward find the term Jewish Lightning offensive, as the truth is so often anti-Semitic. Continuing, and I will have the appropriate links in the text here. Continuing with the article. Since childhood, he had heard rumors that his family had Jewish ancestors dating back to colonial New Spain, when, as historical records show, a good number of Converso Jews, Jews and their descendants, forcibly converted during the Spanish Inquisition, came to the new world. Many of the conversos who had made the trek over had become Catholics in name only. They were crypto-Jews who, in traveling across the Atlantic, were attempting to flee the Inquisition. Now, later we will provide an article on the discussing Mexican crypto-Jews in the San Luis Valley and I should note that the San Luis Valley also covers parts of this same area, Canojos County, Colorado. But these um the subject people, if I should call them people, the subject people in these diverse articles although they both cover this Canohos County, Colorado, are actually different people discussed for different reasons. We saw in part five of this series a number of testimonies of Jewish rituals and traditions kept by supposed Catholics in South America. This is also the Valdez experience, which we are discussing here from this Jewish Telegraphic Agency article. So continuing again. My parents never spoke about it, but everyone knew there was something there, said Valdez. Now, a new study in the Journal of Human Genetics has turned up fresh scientific evidence that the Spanish-Americans of the Southwest must have had some Jewish forebears a group of researchers in the United States and Ecuador analyzed DNA from two communities who trace back to Spanish colonial times one in the San Luis Valley of southern Colorado and northern New Mexico which includes Kinojos County and one in the Loja province of southern Ecuador. The study found observable Spanish. I'm sorry, observable Sephardic ancestry in both communities and calculated Jewish ancestry among the Lohanos at about 5 to 10 percent and among the Spanish-Americans, also called Hispanos, at about 1 to 5 percent. And we would think the percentages overall are actually much higher. And that can be established in other sources, but this is only a start. Returning to the article. This study provides firmer evidence for what people have been conjecturing for up to 20 years now, said the study's director, Dr. Harry Osterer, director of genetics and genomic testing at Montefiore Hospital of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. Over the past several decades, and we could believe that Dr. Harry Oster is also a member of the tribe, over the past several decades, scholars have been pursuing stories like Valdez's and claim to have found remnants of crypto-Jewish practices in communities in the U.S. Southwest and Latin America. Some Hispanos... We would call them Hispanics. This name Hispano seems to be prevalent in many of these articles. Some Hispanos and Latin Americans also have come forward to claim a crypto-Jewish past with a small number embracing a Jewish identity outright. The ancestry is really dispersed throughout the communities Oster said of his findings, which also concluded that along the maternal line, Native American ancestry is as high as 30 to 40%. You can't say, person A has Jewish ancestry and person B does not. These genes were introduced some 500 years ago, he said. Originally, there was a fair amount of intermarriage and then the communities remained isolated. As the historical hypothesis goes, once the Inquisition arrived in the New World, crypto-Jews pushed onto the remote corners of the Spanish Empire, such as Mexico, New Mexico, and Colorado, to escape the church's reach. The San Luis Valley and Loja, both located in the farthest corners of what were once Spanish holdings would therefore be expected to have discernible Jewish ancestry. But the groundswell of interest in a crypto-Jewish past among those of Spanish origin, particularly in the American Southwest, has also sparked controversy. A number of scholars have vociferously disputed any present-day evidence of Judaism arguing that practices reported as Jewish had their origins in Seventh-day Adventism or Fundamental Christianity. Many Jews seem to deny the existence of crypto-Jews only in order to help maintain the myths of Jewish resistance to miscegenation and Jewish racial, racial purity. And that's my opinion. Returning to the article... It certainly wasn't my intention to take sides in this argument, said Ostra. Rather, he and his team were, in part, picking up on previous genetic and clinical studies that found something surprising. Genetic mutations, viewed as predominantly Jewish for a number of diseases, like breast cancer or Bloom's Syndrome, were popping up at a notable rate among Hispanos. A mutation for breast cancer called 185 del AG and this portion does overlap with our San Luis Valley article. A mutation for breast cancer called 185 DEL that stands for the word DELETE AG which stands for two chemicals in a particular gene that is much more common among Ashkenazi Jews than other populations, for example, turns out to be prevalent among Hispanos as well. Imagine that. According to Dr. Paul Duncan, a medical oncologist in private practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico, only. His Hispano and Ashkenazi Jewish patients carried a mutation. The Hispanos would, of course, be descended from Sephardic Jews. Once again, returning to the article, this surprising overlap between Jews and Hispanos is the basis for a new book, The Wandering Gene and the Indian Princess, Race, Religion, and DNA by Jeff Wheelwright to be published in January. Wheelwright, a freelance journalist, helped to set up Oster's study in the San Luis Valley. Wheelwright is the author of the later article on the San Luis Valley Crypto-Jews, which we are going to present a little further on this evening. (coughs) Curiously, Scientists calculate that 185 DELAG arose approximately 2,000 years prior to any split between Ashkenazim and Sephardin. In Loja, Ecuador, genetic traces of ancestry are even more apparent. Scattered across the remote villages of the province are nearly 100 people with Laron, L-A-R-O-N, Laron, I'll pronounce it Laron, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's the way I'm going to say it. Scattered across the remote villages of the province are nearly 100 people with Laron syndrome, which is marked by a severe, short stature. When Dr. Jaime Guevara Aguirre, a diabetes specialist based in Quito, Ecuador, who collaborated with Oster on his study, first began treating this group in 1987. The referring physician told him that legend had it that these people all descended from the same Sephardic Jew who had come over with the explorers. Now, in the 2010 census, according to Wikipedia, the Loha province had a total population of just about 450,000 people and just over 90% of them are listed as Mestizo. According to the U.S. Library of Medicine, Laron syndrome is a rare form of short stature that results from the body's inability to use growth hormone, a substance produced by the brain's pituitary gland that helps promote growth. Affected individuals are close to normal size at birth, but they experience slow growth from early childhood that results in very short stature. If the condition is not treated, I don't know how they would treat it. Adult males typically reach a maximum height of about four and a half feet. Adult females may be just over four feet tall. So when it speaks of Laron syndrome, The article is really speaking about Jewish dwarves, although the article at the U.S. Library of Medicine says nothing about Jews. Further on it says, Laron syndrome is a rare disorder. About 350 people have been diagnosed with the condition worldwide. The largest single group of affected individuals, about 100 people, lives in an area of southern Ecuador. So, out of all Jews, if only 250 people in the world have this disease outside of Ecuador, then the possibility remains that there are many more crypto-Jews in Ecuador who do not have this disease. Recording to, I'm sorry, returning to our original article. I should probably have my glasses on for this, but I don't. In 1992 and 1993, scientists discovered that all Lojanos, people in that Loja province in Ecuador, with Larans, carried the same mutation and shared it with one person in Israel and nine others in Latin America. My guess is that there are slightly different mutations that induce the same disease. The same disease. When I saw this, I thought there was a strong possibility that this story was true, said Guevara Aguirre, because what are the chances that in the billions of nucleotides the same mutation would happen twice at random? But Harry's study confirms it for the first time. Ostra's study stands out from a previous studies in its scope. It is the first time that any researcher has looked beyond Particular, particular disease mutations or shared individual genetic markers to view the entire genome for large chunks of DNA that indicate shared ancestry. Statistically, it is very difficult to see it any other way. Other than that, these people in Oster's study were descendant from conversos, agreed Duncan. Back in the San Luis Valley, Maria Clara Martinez, a retiree who edits the local paper, La Sierra, and Sierra is also a Sephardic name, said she wasn't at all surprised by Oster's findings. A genealogist who has amassed a database of more than 77,000 individuals from New Mexico and Southern Colorado dating back to 1598, Martinez explained that everyone in the area is somehow related. They're all crypto-Jews. Martinez helped to publicize Oster's study, but did not get tested herself because she said, I'm afraid of needles. Although she said she never heard of any ancestors in her own family who were Jewish, she has heard others speak of Jewish forebears or family practices. And then there was an ancestor of hers, who married a woman from Portugal whose father was tried by the Inquisition. So it's very likely that she's also a Jew. Community members were jealous of him, so they reported him, saying he had a tail, Martinez recalled. He was cleared he didn't have a tail, but it is very likely he was Jewish, although it was never proven. That was the words of Martinez. We would contend that investigating only large chunks of DNA is not entirely sufficient to discover all crypto-Jews, as Jews themselves are genetically diverse, except for certain common traits held in common by large groups within the Jewish population and as crypto-Jews have been mixing with non-Jewish populations for five centuries, or I should say for at least five centuries, the DNA retained may certainly be barely discernible. Nevertheless, for a true Christian, a Mamzer is a Mamzer forever. There is an article found at the Mexfiles website titled, The Old Jews of Mexico Come Out After 500 Years. And it was posted on March 18, 2007. I'm surprised Clifton didn't find it. It was evidently written by the website's apparent owner, Richard Grabman. I don't know if he's a Jew or not, but the name sounds like he may be a Jew. He's from Western New York, so what does that tell you? I can say now, from some of Grabman's comments, that he will not like my use of his article. But our purposes here are solely academic, so I would claim that this is a fair use of his findings, which are mostly citations from others anyway. So from this article we read the following, and I will withhold my own comments. Most portions of this I really don't have to comment on. When I started studying Mexican history, I was surprised at how many of the early colonial leaders were conversos. These are Grabman's words. Spanish Jews, or their children, who had to convert or leave Spain after Isabel's conquest of Granada in January 1492. A good chunk of northern Mexico, including what's now Texas and New Mexico, were settled by Tlaxcalan and Converso pioneers. The New Mexico Spanish are nearly all of Jewish ancestry, according to recent DNA studies. Lenchek's invaluable three-part series for Mexico Connect, his website, titled Jews in Mexico, A Struggle for Survival, notes that while most Mexican Jews are descended from immigrants who arrived between 1888 and 1939, there have always been crypto-Jews. The conversos were under increasing pressure from the Inquisition, looking for a place in which they could retain their Spanish identity. They focused on Mexico. In 1531, large numbers of them left Spain and Portugal for the New World. The Inquisition had not yet come to Nueva España, and the new arrivals soon married into prominent Mexican families, became priests and bishops, and enjoyed a 40-year period, during which time many began to practice Judaism openly doctors, lawyers, notaries public, tailors, teachers, and silversmiths. They brought much needed skills to the new colony and were well received. They settled in Veracruz, Campeche, Oaxaca, Guadalajara, Morelia, and Mexico City. And please take note that I'm aware that I had cited that part of this article in our last presentation. This week, I am citing much more of it, and it continues, and, and let me say that, okay, Grabin now has a comment here, because he's citing from this Shep Lenchek, Grabin has a comment, conversos were not overtly persecuted, but were eventually assimilated into the general population, and then going on to cite Lencheck, the Inquisition, cite Lencheck further, I should say, the Inquisition was never as virulent in Mexico as it was in Spain, where more than 4,000 people were burned at the stake. Many more were imprisoned for the Jewish heresy. Massacres were instigated that took thousands of lives. By contrast, between 1571 and when the Inquisition was established in Mexico and 1821 when it ended. Only about 110 people were actually burned at the stake. Perhaps the same number died under torture or in prison, either awaiting trial or after sentencing. There were no popular outcries against Jews. The Inquisition was imposed from Spain. It cannot be blamed on Mexicans. Then, Grabman says, it's to the honor of Mexico to report that, Lenchek notes, and he cites him further, the only recorded incidents of official anti-Semitism came in the 1930s. Suffering from a depression, Mexican labor unions pressured the government to enact restrictions on Chinese and Jewish immigration. Later in the same decade, Neo-Nazi right-wingers financed from Berlin staged anti-Jewish demonstrations in Mexico City. But not a single act of violence against Jews or Jewish property can be documented. I don't know if I would call 1930s Mexicans who are urged on by National Socialists I don't know if I would call them Neo-Nazis but that's the Jewish author of this article, as Lenchek is also a Jew, and I'm sure Grabman probably is too. And that's also why their remarks and opinions are friendly to Jews. In our series, The Jews in Medieval Europe, we cited much documented evidence of Jewish treachery in Spain that led to their so-called persecutions that led to justifiable pogroms against Jews. That's what they led to. Grabman continues, and he says, Which isn't to say that the crypto-Jews weren't at a disadvantage when it came to remaining Jewish. But 500 years after the conquest, some are rediscovering their roots. As Roberto Leuterman wrote for the Jewish Journal, Posted on New American Media on March 16, 2007. And I must note that that website is now defunct, but that is what Grabman is, is citing. And quoting Loiterman, he told me he was going to visit a group of Mexicans practicing Judaism on their own. No rabbi, no shul. It sounded fascinating. I asked if I could come along. I wondered what had led these people born into Catholic families to follow Judaism. More than that, I wanted to see Judaism through their eyes. What do they feel when they say the prayers? What is the source of their faith? This was not the first time I'd asked these questions. During the high holidays, I had attended services at Beth Shalom. Of course, Leuterman also must be a Jew, right? Where a vibrant group of Latino converts has revitalized revitalized that shul. And that word is s-h-u-l. I'm not entirely sure what it means, so let's look it up. A shul is a synagogue. Okay, it's short for synagogue, I guess, in Jewish. Maybe it's a corruption of some Hebrew word, I'm not sure. He goes on to say, this is Loiterman, Dr. Mario Espinoza, a Mexicali, a Mexicali Jew, a Mexicali obstetrician gynecologist, spoke about his certainty that he's descended from Jews forcibly converted to Christianity centuries ago. He used the Hebrew word anuism, or I'm sorry, anusim, constrained people, or forcibly converted, rather than Moranos, which means swine, and properly anusim is the Jewish term for Jews forcibly converted to Catholicism where the Spaniards, in a derogatory fashion, had often called them Moranos, which is pigs. That's really what they are. The Spanish were pretty much on the money there. For Mexicans, and we're going back to Grabman's words. For Mexicans who trace their lineage to Anusim, the Inquisition is not ancient history. It continued in Latin America, including Mexico, from the 1500s until the 1800s. During that period, those whose ancestors had been forced to convert from judaism to christianity were harassed tortured and sometimes killed if they were discovered to have continued jewish practices which is why those practices continued in secret if at all then he goes on to say and and this is a little ambiguous because Grabman didn't properly mark his citations in this part of his article, I think he's just r- continuing to quote from this Roberto Leuterman. Lucia Espinosa mentioned a grandmother who lit candles on Friday night. Lupe Medrano said that when she looked through her late grandfather's effects, she found a tallet hidden in a box. A tallet is a Jewish prayer shawl. With my tongue firmly planted into my cheek, I would say that maybe it was even a forerunner of the poncho. The group that has coalesced around the Medrano home is not the only one like it in Mexico. Far from it, the website of Beth Had a Footsoft, the Jewish Diaspora Museum in Tel Aviv lists a number of communities of native Mexican Jews, various located in various parts of Mexico, who trace their origins to Anusim. How many descendants of Anusim are there? It's hard to figure out exactly, said Rabbi Stefan Leon of the congregation Benazion in El Paso just across the border from Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. I'd only be guessing, but I'd say the number is very large. I have personally ministered to 40 such families. This is a rabbi in El Paso speaking. In the 20 years I've been here, probably came from New York, Not a week goes by that I don't meet someone who tells me about childhood memories of crypto-Jewish practices. The Diaspora Museum website points out that even after converting to Judaism, native Mexican Jews have not been accepted by traditional Mexican Jews, nearly all of whom are Orthodox, and descended from those who immigrated to Mexico from Europe in the Middle East and the Middle East in the early 1900s. And that's the end of that citation. Of course, Orthodox Jews had their own peculiar rules to determine who is a Jew, counting only the offspring of Jewish mothers, regardless of who the father is but that does not make them right in the eyes of God or of Christians who actually care about the laws of God. In our estimation, since a bastard is forever a bastard, Jews are Jews by blood through either the mother or the father or a dog or a goat or a pig or a wolf. Regardless of how distant is their most recent Jewish ancestor, If one has a single Jewish ancestor 10 or 20 generations ago, then one is still a Jew. If indeed that particular Jew was a Jew by blood, Christ had said, the tares sown among the wheat will not be uprooted until the time of the harvest so that no wheat are uprooted along with the tares. And that's important. Now we shall present and discuss a longer article, The Secret of San Luis Valley, which was published in the October 2008 issue of Smithsonian Magazine, only about six months after the last of Clifton's own papers on this subject were published. When he shared it with his readers, Clifton had prefaced this article with the following message. This is a critical review of an article which appeared in the October 2008 issue of Smithsonian showing substantial evidence that the people we know today as Mexicans are indeed a racial admixture of the descendants of Central American Indians and Spanish Sephardic Jews. There is a big lie in this article found in the October 2008 Smithsonian Magazine. It is stated therein that the Mexicans are descended from the Eastern Ashkenazi Jews, but they are rather sprung from the Western Spanish Sephardic Jews. Another big lie at the end of the article states Jesus was Jewish. The people with which the Mexicans are mixed are the Canaanites, Edomites, and Kenites, to mention just a few. See my articles, Mexican traced to Cain, son of Satan, and the words Mestizo and Ladino. Otherwise, the article is quite informative, yet every statement should be thoroughly scrutinized. And that's the end of Clifton's comments. The only comments from Clifton that we had this evening This article may be found at the Smithsonian website under the title, The Secret Jews of San Luis Valley, which is a little different, where it is prefaced with the statement, In Colorado, the gene linked to a virulent form of breast cancer found mainly in Jewish women is discovered in Hispanic Catholics. Imagine that. Perhaps Clifton misread the title, or perhaps what is more likely is that it has been retitled by Smithsonian since its original publication. Here is the version which Clifton had presented. The Secret of San Luis Valley. The discovery of a cancer gene among some Hispanic Catholics in southern Colorado supports the theory That they're descended from secret jews who fled the spanish inquisition and that is also a little different from the introduction in the current version of this article found at smithsonian and we will link that here this article was by jeff wheelwright who is or who was at this time going to be the author of a much larger book on this subject, which was mentioned in the article we had just presented by Richard Grabman. I never saw the Wheelwright book. I would have to check into that to see if it was indeed published as Grabman said it would be. So this is The Secret of San Luis Valley, or The Secret Jews of San Luis Valley, one September day in 2001, Teresa Castellano, Lisa Mullineau, an evidently French name, Jeffrey Shaw, and Leeson Axel, A-X-E-L-L. And that name is rather ambiguous, the first and last names. So that's probably a Jew, but I don't know. We're having lunch in Denver genetic counselors from nearby hospitals, and specialists in inherited cancers. The four would get together periodically to talk shop. That day they surprised one another. They'd each documented a case or two of Hispanic women with aggressive breast cancer linked to a particular genetic mutation. The women had roots in southern Colorado near the New Mexico border. I said, I have a patient with a mutation, and she's only in her 40s, Castellano recalls. Then Lisa said that she had seen a couple of cases like that, and Jeff and Leeson had one or two also. We realized that this could be something really interesting. Curiously, the genetic mutation that caused the virulent breast cancer had previously been found primarily in Jewish people whose ancestral home was Central or Eastern Europe. Yet all of these new patients were Hispanic Catholics. Genetic counselors, Teresa Castellano in San Luis, or San Luis, I'm sorry, helped identify people who carried the gene mutation and urged that family members be tested for it. Molyneux, Lisa Molyneux, contacted Ruth Oratz, who is also obviously a Jew, a New York City-based oncologist, then working in Denver. Those people are Jewish, Oratz told her. I'm sure of it, and we would wholeheartedly agree. Pulling their information... The counselors published a report in a medical journal about finding the gene mutation in six non-Jewish Americans of Spanish ancestry. The researchers were cautious about some of the implications because the breast cancer patients themselves, as the paper put it, denied their Jewish ancestry. The finding raised some awkward questions. What did the presence of the genetic mutation say about the Catholics who carried it? As if, as if there's a difference, or, or I'm sorry, as if there's some relationship between genes and religion, which is ridiculous. How did they happen to inherit it? Would they have to rethink who they were, their very identity? because of a tiny change in the three billion letters of their DNA. More important, how would it affect their health and their children's health in the near future? Those letters are actually representative of the chemical sequences in each gene within a strand of DNA. Some people in the valley were reluctant to confront such questions, at least initially, and a handful even rejected the overtures of physicians, scientists, and historians who were suddenly interested in their family histories. But rumors of secret Spanish Jewry had floated around northern New Mexico and the San Luis Valley for years, and now the cold hard facts of DNA appeared to support them. And of course it does, at a much greater degree than this. As a result, families in this remote, high desert community had had to come to grips with a kind of knowledge that more and more of us are likely to face. For the story of this wayward gene is the story of modern genetics, a science that increasingly has the power to predict the future and to illuminate the past in unsettling ways. Expanding the DNA analysis, Sharon Graw, G-R-A-W, a University of Denver geneticist, confirmed that the mutation in the Hispanic patients from San Luis Valley exactly matched one previously found in Ashkenazi Jews from Central and Eastern Europe. You know, the genetic relationship doesn't necessarily indicate descent. It only indicates common genes and mutations identified in various groups of Jews. And while Clifton said that the author said that these Jews descended from Ashkenazi Jews, all this really proves is that These, quote-unquote, Hispanics are actually descended from Jews. They don't necessarily have to be Ashkenazi Jews. What must be answered is how many Sephardic Jews in other places have this gene. I didn't see that addressed in the material we are presenting this evening. I'm not saying it's not, I just don't remember it, even though I just read this this afternoon. The mutation, 185-DELAG, is a variant of a gene called BRCA1. When normal and healthy, BRCA1, kind of like BRCA1, helps to protect breast and ovarian cells from cancer. An extremely long gene, it has thousands of DNA letters, each corresponding to one of four chemical compounds that make up the genetic code and run down either strand of the DNA double helix. A misspelling, a mutation, can occur at virtually any letter. Some are of no consequence. But the deletion of the chemicals, adenine, which is what the A stands for, and guanine, which is what the G stands for, at a site, 185 rungs into the DNA ladder. Hence the name 185 DELAG ANG and G deleted at rung 185 will prevent the gene from functioning. Then the cell becomes vulnerable to a malignancy. To be sure, most breast and ovarian cancers do not run in families. The causes, or I'm sorry, the cases owing to BRCA1 and a similar gene, BRCA2, make up less than 10% of cases overall. By comparing DNA samples from Jews around the world, scientists have pieced together the origins of the 185 DEL mutation. It is ancient, More than 2,000 years ago, among the Hebrew, or really Canaanite, tribes of Palestine, someone's DNA dropped the AG letters at the 185 site. The glitch spread and multiplied in succeeding generations, even as Jews migrated from Palestine to Europe. Ethnic groups tend to have their own distinctive genetic disorders, such as harmful variations of the BRCA1 gene, but because Jews throughout history have often married within their religion, the 185 DEL mutation gained a strong foothold in that population. Today, roughly one in 100 Jews carries the harmful form of the gene variant. And we are not going to comment on what I perceive as mistakes of perspective because the perspective in such articles is always from that of an evolutionary biologist. I'm not even going to comment on that in my notes, I'll just ignore it. But evidently not everyone who carries the variant gene actually gets cancer. But if six unrelated or only distantly related women in this one valley have it, that means that statistically there are at least 600 Hispanic families in the valley which are descended from crypto-Jews. Continuing with the article, meanwhile, some of the Colorado patients began to look into their own heritage. With the zeal of an investigative reporter, Beatrice Wright searched for both cancer and Jewish ancestry in her family tree, and I should say there are up to 600 Hispanic families. Beatrice Wright searched for both cancer and Jewish ancestry in her family tree. Her maiden name is Martinez. She lives in a town north of Denver and has dozens of Martinez relatives in the San Luis Valley and northern New Mexico. In fact, her mother's maiden name was Martinez, too. Probably a Mexican version of West Virginia, maybe. Wright had been diagnosed with breast cancer in 2000 when she was 45. Her right breast was removed and she was treated with chemotherapy. Later, her left breast, uterus, fallopian tubes and ovaries were removed as a precaution. She had vaguely known that the women on her father's side were susceptible to the disease. With so much cancer on dad's side of the family, she said, my cancer doctor thought it might be hereditary. Advised by Lisa Molyneux about BRCA testing, she provided a blood sample that came back positive for 185 DELAG that led to this (laughs) discovery that many of these people had this same mutation found in Ashkenazi Jews. These people being descended from Sephardic Jews, as much of the other evidence that we've shown here strongly suggests. My quip about West Virginia was sort of off the cuff. This woman and her mother having the same maiden name. So her mother was a Martinez, and that means that her father was also a Martinez. If we go back and look at the practices of the Edomite family of Herod, as they're described in Josephus' Antiquities, the family of the Herodians consistently, from generation to generation, married their own nieces, nephews, first cousins, and even brother and sister, Herod Agrippa too lived with his wife, as his, with his sister, in the, playing the role of his wife, even though I don't think they had children. But it happened all the time with the Herods, the Edomite Herods. Why would it be different with any other Edomite Jews? I, I don't know, but I really don't have the time to research that throughout European history when Wright was told that the mutation was characteristic of Jewish people. She recalled a magazine article about the secret Jews of New Mexico. It was well known that during the late Middle Ages, the Jews of Spain were forced to convert to Catholicism. According to a considerable body of scholarship, some of the conversos maintained their faith in secret, some. The rest would never know, their descendants would never know, but they were Jews. After Judaism was outlawed in Spain in 1492 and Jews were expelled, some of those who stayed took their beliefs further underground. The exiles went as far as the New World. For the first time, Wright connected this history to memories of conceivably Jewish customs, such as sweeping dust into the center of a room and covering mirrors while mourning a loved one's death. She read up on the Spanish crypto-Jews in the library and on the Internet. In 2001, she and her husband made an extended visit to the valley and northern New Mexico. Tracking down as many of her paternal relatives as she could find, she alerted them to the dangerous genetic legacy and their ethno-religious heritage. I have sixty first cousins. Some I never knew I had, she says. So I went fact-finding. I made the trek because I needed to know where I was from. Did you know about our Jewish heritage, I said. It wasn't a big deal to some of them, but others kind of raised an eyebrow like I didn't know what I was talking about. And I must remark that having 60 first cousins, we can see in this one individual how numerous is the crypto-Jewish population of the American Southwest and Mexico. Returning to the article, part of New Mexico territory until the U.S. government delineated the Colorado territory in 1861, the San Luis Valley lies between two chains of mountains, the San Juans to the west and the Sangre de Cristos to the east. The Rio Grande begins here. The town of San Luis, the oldest in Colorado, is the Spanish heart of the valley. With an old church on the central plaza and a modern shrine on a mesa overlooking the town, San Luis bristles with Catholic symbols. It seems a short step back in time to the founding of the New Mexico colony. When picaresque, gold-hungry conquistadors... I wonder what sort of conquistadors they were. Franciscan friars and Pueblo Indians came together, often violently, in a spare and sunburnt land. As Willa Cather put it in Death Comes for the Archbishop, perhaps the best novel about the region, the sunsets reflected on the Sangre de Cristo Mountains are not the color of living blood, but the color of the dried blood of saints and martyrs. And here I may opine that the Archbishop was probably also a Crypto-Jew. Continuing with the article. The discovery of the 185-DEL-AG mutation in the valley and subsequently in New Mexico hints at a different story with its own trail of blood and persecution. Jews are always crying persecution. The significance of the genetic work was immediately recognized by Stanley M. Hordes, a professor at the University of New Mexico. During the early 1980s, Hordes, H-O-R-D-E-S for the name like that, he was probably a Jew too. I don't really know that though. Hordes had been New Mexico's official state historian. Maybe it's Hordes, who knows and part of his job was assisting people with their genealogies. Hordes, who is 59, recalls that he received some very unusual visits in my office. People would drop by and tell me, in whispers, that so-and-so doesn't eat pork, or that so-and-so circumcises his children. Informants took him to backcountry cemeteries and showed him gravestones that he says bore six-pointed stars they brought out devotional objects from their closets that looked vaguely Jewish. As Hordes began speaking and writing about his findings, other New Mexicans came forward with memories of rituals and practices followed by their ostensibly Christian parents or grandparents having to do with the lighting of candles on Friday evenings or the slaughtering of animals. Hordes laid out his research in a 2005 book, To the End of the Earth, A History of the Crypto-Jews of New Mexico Following the Jews' expulsion from Spain, Crypto-Jews were among the early settlers of Mexico. The Spanish in Mexico periodically tried to root out the Judaizers. But it is clear from the records of trials that Jewish practices endured, even in the face of executions. According to Horde's research, Settlers who were crypto-Jews or descended from Jews ventured up the Rio Grande to frontier outposts in New Mexico. For 300 years, as the territory passed from Spanish to Mexican to United States hands, there was almost nothing in the historical record about crypto-Jews. Then, because of probing by younger relatives, the stories trickled out. It was only when their suspicions were aroused decades later, Hordes writes, that they asked their elders, who reluctantly answered, Erasmus judios," which means, we were Jews. But were they? And of course, Orthodox Jews are going to contend with that. And the article presents some arguments Judith Newlander, what a name for a Jew, an ethnographer and co-director of the judeo study, Judaic Studies Program at Case Western University in Cleveland, was at first a believer of Horde's theory that crypto-Judaism had survived in New Mexico. But after interviewing people in the region herself, she concluded that it was an imagined community. Of course, the great volume of DNA evidence, and we will present more this evening, actually refutes Judith Newlander, Among other things, Newlander has accused hordes of asking leading questions and planting suggestions of Jewish identity. She says there are better explanations for the memories of unusual rites, vestiges of Seventh-day Adventism, for example, which missionaries brought to the region in the early 20th century. She also suggested that perhaps some dark-skinned Hispanics were trying to elevate their ethnic status by associating themselves with lighter-skinned Jews, writing that claims of Judeo-Spanish ancestry are used to assert an overvalued line of white ancestral descent in the American Southwest. What a racist. This is funny since many Jews attempt to convince Christians that Jesus was black. But Jews themselves are a bundle of contradictions. The article continues. Hordes disagrees. Just because there are some people who are wannabes doesn't mean everybody is a wannabe, he says but he acknowledges that Newlander's criticisms have made him and other researchers more cautious. Hordes, pursuing another line of evidence, also pointed out that some of the New Mexicans he was studying were afflicted by a rare skin condition, pemphigus vulgaris, that is more common among Jews than other ethnic groups. Newlander countered, that the same type of Pamphigus vulgaris occurs in other peoples of European and Mediterranean background. They are probably crypto-Jews also. Then the 185-del-ag mutation surfaced. It was just the sort of objective data hordes had been looking for. The findings didn't prove the carrier's Jewish ancestry, but the evidence smoothly fit his historical theme. Or, as he put it with a certain clinical detachment, it's a significant development in the identification of a Jewish origin for certain Hispano families. And by itself it is. But with all of the other genetic evidence and historical evidence, we see that a wider, much, much wider, Population of Ladinos, Mexicans, or Hispanos did indeed descend from crypto-Jews or from converted Jews. Why do I do it? Hordes was addressing the 2007 meeting in Albuquerque of the Society for Crypto-Judaic Studies, a scholarly group he co-founded because the fabric of Jewish heritage is richer in New Mexico than we thought. His research, and that of others, he said at the gathering, rip the veneer off the accounts of Spanish-Indian settlement and culture by adding a new element to the conventional mix. One conference attendee was a Catholic New Mexican who heartily embraces his crypto-Jewish heritage, the Reverend Bill Sanchez, a local priest. He says he has upset some local Catholics by saying openly that he is genetically Jewish. Sanchez bases his claim on another genetic test, Y-chromosome analysis. The Y-chromosome, handed down from father to son, provides a narrow glimpse of a male's paternal lineage. The test, which is promoted on the internet and requires only a cheek swab, 23andMe, is one of the more popular genealogy probes. Sanchez noted that the test suggested he was descended from the esteemed Kohanan lineage of Jews. Still, a Semitic finding on this test isn't positive. It could also apply to non-Jews. Yeah, like, Arabs, and the descendants of Crypto-Jews. The Kohanim marker, as it is called, is a misnomer. Although it does seem to be a valid indication of an individual's having descended from Jews or Arabs, Jews imagine that the genetic marker indicates descent from the line of Aaron, but that is purely conjecture based on their own claim to be Israelites. I would rather assume, and much more safely from a historical standpoint, that the marker is an indication of Edomite lineage, because not all Arabs are Edomites and not all Canaanites are Edomites. More recent genetic tests have found the Kohana marker in a high percentage of Arabs in the Near Middle East. An even greater blow to Jewish claims concerning the Kohana marker is found in a University of Arizona study by geneticist Michael Hammer and other researchers, titled New Genetic Research Indicates. Jewish priesthood, referring to Jews with that Kohana marker, has multiple lineages. This we may discuss if we continue with further portions of the series, if and when, I'm certain that we probably will. For now, returning to our article on the Jews of San Luis Valley, we should bear in mind the fact that while geneticists may warn anything they so desire, geneticists are not God. So they say, and this sort of bristles me, geneticists warn that biology is not destiny, and of course it is. <laughs> Of course, biology certainly is destiny. They say, A person's family tree contains thousands of ancestors, and DNA evidence that one may have been Hebrew, or Armenian, or Bolivian, or Nigerian, means very little unless the person decides to embrace the implication, as Sanchez has done. He sees no conflict between his disparate religious traditions. Some of us believe we can practice rituals of crypto-Judaism and still be good Catholics, he says. He keeps a menorah in a prominent place in his parish church, how fitting, and says he adheres to a Pueblo belief or two for good measure. Of course, there have always been people who imagine that dogs or goats can be sheep, if only they believe especially Catholics. Continuing with the article. At the Albuquerque meeting, the new evidence about 185 DELAG prompted discussion not only among academics, but also among some of the subjects. Robert Martinez, no immediate relation to Beatrice Wright, whose maiden name and whose mother's maiden name were Martinez, teaches history at a high school near Albuquerque. During his summer vacations, he helps Horde sip through municipal and church records in Latin America and Europe, studying family histories and looking for references to Judaism. He traces his roots to members of the first expedition to New Mexico, led by Juan de Onate, In 1598, the Spanish explorer himself had converso relatives, hordes has found, and included conversos in the expedition. Now, actually, the reference to converso relatives is an understatement. It is commonly known that Juan de Onate, perhaps that should be pronounced Onyate, was a Spaniard of Jewish descent from his mother, as even Wikipedia acknowledges. Oñate, or Oñate, once the governor of Santa Fe and the viceroy of New Spain, was also known for excessive cruelty and mismanagement of his assignments. Continuing with the article, when he went to work as Horge's assistant ten years ago, Martinez, who is 45, was well aware of the disease in his family. Several relatives have had breast or ovarian cancer. Excuse me. Of course, I'd always heard about the cancer in our family on our mom's side, he says. And then, two of my sisters were diagnosed within months of each other. Both women tested positive for 185 DELAG the Jewish cancer gene, and have since died. I carried the mutation too, he says. The Jewish connection caused no stir in his family, he says. Me, I'm open. I want to know. Who am I? Where am I? We are a strange lot, New Mexicans. We refer to ourselves as Spanish, but we have Portuguese blood, Native American, some black too. We descend from a small genetic pool, and we're all connected if you go back far enough. Evidently, they are all connected to a few medieval Jews. According to the 2017 live birth statistics for New Mexico, over 56% of birthing mothers are identified as Hispanic, For the same year, in Colorado, it is over 28%. Evidently, Hispanic is not a race in Arizona, but over 27% of its citizens consider Mexican to be their ancestry group. In 2010, that number in Texas was 37.6%. To the Christian, all of these should be considered no differently from Arabs and Jews. Returning once again to our article, Teresa Castellano, the genetic counselor, has spent time in the San Luis Valley explaining BRCA, the main genes BRCA1 and BRCA2, where that 185 DELAG gene is located, explaining BRCA to community leaders, patients, and others. BRCA carriers, she tells them, have up to an 80% risk of developing breast cancer, as well as a significant risk of ovarian cancer. If a woman tests positive, her children would have a 50-50 chance of acquiring the flawed gene. BRCA mutations are passed down by men and women alike. If a family has mainly sons, the threat to the next generation may be masked. A year and a half ago, Castellano got a call from a laboratory technician advising her of another patient with a connection to the 185 DELAG mutation. The patient's family had roots in the San Luis Valley and northern Mexico. Their name was Valdez, the very gentleman who founded that kosher co-op, who we started with this evening. His name was Valdez, so there you have it. At the top of the pedigree were eight siblings, two of whom, sisters, were still living. In the next generation were 29 adult children, including 15 females. Five of the 15 women had developed breast or ovarian cancer. Then came an expanding number of grandchildren and great-grandchildren who were as yet too young for the disease, but who might have the mutation. Only one or two members of the disparate clan still lived in the valley, so they spread out, and they aren't related to the Valdezes, to the Valdez who we opened with this evening, whose account we opened with. This evening who was the cattle rancher and was from the same county that overlap one of the same counties that overlaps the San Luis Valley this mutation who also claimed to be descended from Jews this mutation is only one of many genetic Jewish genetic markers this 185 DLAG <coughs> and only a, a relatively small number of Jews have this mutation. According to a 1996 study published at the American Association for Cancer Research, among women of Ashkenazi origin, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi Jewish origin, a frameshift mutation of the BRCA1 gene, designated 185 delag ag occurs with a carrier frequency of approximately 1%. So only 1% of Ashkenazi Jews carry this gene. And is estimated to account for about 39% of ovarian cancer cases occurring prior to fifth, age 50 years. So why the presence of 185 DELAG among these Mexicans is to me proof of their Jewish ancestry. Jewish ancestry among Mexicans is certainly not limited to these. Once again, returning to our article. Ironically, Castellanos' initial patient Teresa Valdez-Martinez, did not carry the mutation herself. Her breast cancer was a sporadic case, not associated with a known mutation. But Teresa's sister Josephine and her first cousin Victoria had died of ovarian cancer. Their DNA, retrieved from stored blood samples, tested positive for 185-DEL-AG. "'Something's going on with our family,' Therese said. "'We need to wake up.'" (laughs) wake up and jump into the lake of fire. Castellano offered no counseling sessions. Offered to hold, I'm sorry, counseling sessions with members of the Valdez extended family in April of 2007. With Therese's backing, she sent out 50 invitations. A total of 67 people, including children, attended the session in a hospital conference room in Denver. Therese said, one cousin, he won't come, he doesn't want to know, to each his own. The tables were arranged in a U-shape, rather like the mountains around the valley. Castellano stood at the open end. She pointed out that in addition to breast and ovarian cancer, the Valdez family had several cases of colon cancer. There's some risk, it appears, Castigliano said, and therefore everyone in the family should have a colonoscopy at age 45. That caused grumbling among her listeners. This family has a lot of ovarian cancer, she went on, but appears not to have a breast cancer case under age 35. So we think the age for women for starting their annual mammograms should be 30 to 35. We recommend that our 185 families, those families that carry that 185-D-E-L-A-G gene, do it by MRI every year. And if you do have 185, she bluntly added, get your ovaries out at age 35. Of course, I would not promote mammograms at all, and neither would I promote a sorcerer, inserting his fingers, or some machinery, into one's inner parts. But it doesn't really matter to me what these Ladinos do to themselves. However, there is another aspect of this, and that is publicly funded health care. Jews and Evidently, people descended from crypto Jews have a much higher rate, a much higher probability of requiring health care at a premature age, at an age where we wouldn't normally expect to come down with some life threatening illness like breast cancer. So, the big push for publicly funded health care actually favors these populations that carry these mutations and transmit them from generation to generation. They become a burden on normal people, on real people, I should say, which are white people. They become a tremendous burden. And it's they who have the preponderance of this type of gene. The implications are never-ending, but we are basically financing the devil's sicknesses with our health care insurance payments and public health care policies. Going back to the article. A silence. Then a question from a woman in her 20s. Can't a healthy lifestyle help? Do you have to have your ovaries out at 35? Taking them out will decrease your risk, but not eliminate it, Castellano said. Looking for support for this harsh measure, she smiled down the table at Angelita Valdez Armenta. Angelita had undergone the operation called an oophorectomy to remove those oocytes. Angie is a great example of how someone here is going to get old. Months after the meeting, Angelita had her DNA tested and learned she was indeed a carrier of 185 DELAG. The point of the meeting, which Castellano came to quickly enough, was to encourage family members to sign up for the DNA test. Do you have to be tested, she said. No, but then you have to pretend that you're positive and be more proactive about your health and your screening." Noting that the men were also at some risk of breast cancer, Castellano urged them to check themselves by inverting the nipple and feeling for a pea-sized lump. Shali Valdez, a teenager videotaping the session, put down her camera. If you have the mutation, she wanted to know, can you donate blood? The answer is yes. Can it get into other people? No, you had to inherit it. Shali looked pleased. Castellano looked satisfied as of this writing 15 additional Valdezes have undergone testing for the 185 delag ag mutation with six of them testing positive positive. and of course if you carry a certain gene and you marry a woman or a man who does not have that gene and you have children the odds are only 50-50 roughly as to whether or not they will have the gene. If they do not have the gene, their children will not have the gene. With that in mind, we see how this gene has persisted amongst these Mexicans. And therefore, I would say that a great number of these Mexicans must have been Sephardic Jews in order for the gene to persist and grow among such a large population over 500 years. The odds are that if only a very small number of Sephardic Jews were in Mexico in this area at this time, that after so many intermarriages with non-Sephardic Jews it would have been bred out that's my opinion based on simple chances of, pro- of chances of probability and that the odds and and how they work i might be wrong but somehow i don't think so when you mix races up you never know what you're going to get but the more people that have the gene in the first place the more likely it is to perpetuate and the population carrying it to grow over 500 years. The article is nearing its conclusion. Even Stanley Hortz, whose two decades of historical research has been bolstered by the 185 DEL-AG findings, says that the greatest value of the genetic information in New Mexico and Colorado is that it identified a population at risk for contracting potentially fatal diseases, thus providing the opportunity for early detection and treatment. In other words, genes are rich in information, but the information that matters most is about life and death. As she prepared for the Valdez family meeting, Castellano recalled, she wondered how the group would respond to what she had to tell him about their medical history. She then plunged into her account of how 185 DELAG originated in the Middle East and traveled to New Mexico. The revelation that the Valdezes were related to Spanish Jews prompted quizzical looks. But later, Elise Valdez Vigel, at 68, the oldest family member there, said she wasn't bothered by the information. Jesus was Jewish, she said. And that concludes the article. And of course, Jesus was certainly not Jewish in the modern sense of the word. He was an Israelite of Judea. And the Edomite Canaanite Jews are not Israelites. But of course, we're all well familiar with that topic. There is, a much more recent, there is much more recent evidence supporting our assertion concerning the true nature of Ladinos than what we should even present here, as we could repeat ourselves often. One of the newest is a preliminary study which had dozens of academic scientists as co-authors and was recently published on January 23rd, 2018 at a biology website maintained by the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory titled Latin Americans show widespread conversal ancestry and the imprint of local native ancestry on physical appearance. Here is a portion of the abstract of the study, which I have yet to read. Historical records and genetic analysis indicate that Latin Americans trace their ancestry mainly to the admixture of Native Americans, Europeans, and Sub-Saharan Africans. Using novel haplotype-based methods, Here we infer the subpopulations involved in the admixture for over 6,500 Latin Americans and evaluate the impact of subcontinental ancestry on the physical appearance of these individuals. We find that pre-Columbian native genetic structure is mirrored in Latin Americans and that sources of non-native ancestry and admixture timings matched documented migratory flows. We also detect Southeast Mediterranean ancestry across Latin America, probably stemming from the clandestine colonial migration of Christian converts of non-European origin. And then they have in parentheses, conversos. So these academic researchers and scientists have found that crypto-Jewish miscegenation with the indigenous natives was widespread across Latin America, even though the appearance of the resulting Ladinos remained largely native. It certainly is Ladino-America. By now, we hope to have established as fact, and we will probably stay on this topic for further presentations. By now, we hope to have established as fact that at least a great many of the so called Latinos and Hispanics are actually descended from Jews. And after that, there is the Arab question, which is, how many of the supposedly Spanish or Portuguese colonists actually descended from Iberians who were mixed with Arabs during the Islamic occupation of Iberia? Then, after the realization that Jews and Arabs are actually both descended in great degree from the Canaanites and other enemies of ancient Israel, we may indeed arrive at a full view of the answers to the Arab question, and we may begin to approach the appropriate conclusions from our Christian instruction on the sheep and the goats. In the end, there will be no sore people in the kingdom of Yahweh, so how could we accept them among us now? Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And never the god of any Jew, Arab, Hispanic, Latino, Ladino, or anyone of any other race, but the white race. Good night.